Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. thankful that you haven't left us alone in this world that we face, that your presence is so real and tangible. I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that you would make yourself known. You would stir our hearts and open our minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you were here last week, we started a new series, our Advent series called The Coming King. Uh, We looked at how the coming king brings hope. We did kind of a a survey over all of scripture. We saw that Luke starts out his gospel about Jesus, not actually about Jesus, but with um, Elizabeth and John the prophet. And it was a call back to Abraham and Sarah and how the story of Jesus is not just some random dude plucked out of history to be the Messiah, but a continuation of Israel's story and that he brought hope, not just hope of, of one day being forgiven, but hope of victory over sin here and now. And today we continue looking at that coming king and what it means for us and the idea of peace. So if you have your Bibles, or our main text was on the screen this morning. Our main text is going to be Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to, I'm going to read verses 6 and 7, but we're going to un- unpack a chunk of Isaiah as we go through today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. I'm going to start with verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Almighty Lord will accomplish this. When I think about peace, I see two different kinds, right? There's two different kinds of peace. We're going to kind of look into those today. The first one I think is the typical peace that we think of when we think of peace. And this is peace that comes with the absence of conflict. If you've read an epic novel or seen some kind of great movie, it's the the peace that comes post-war when the conflict is gone. And I think most of us, when we think about peace, that's what we search for. We search for a, a moment, a breath of fresh air when the conflict is no more. A little over a month ago, I was uh, sitting on the back porch of a cabin in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I'm sitting there 
I should probably say I'm swinging there. There's this swing that came down from the roof held by one rope and chain kind of coming straight down. And you guys know, I've told you stories about uh, the plastic chairs that have not held me. I'm a whole lot of man, okay? And I do not trust these, these swings, these chairs. I don't trust them. But there's this moment where like, I'm out there on the back porch. I'm by myself. I can look over the railing and down into the valley of the woods. You can like hear the breeze blowing by, the leaves gently falling down. All right, there's birds chirping in the background, the squirrels are hopping, and you can hear them on the leaves. And there's just this moment, I'm like, man, I really want to sit in the swing, <laughs> all right? So slowly, I surrender my trust to the swing, I sit down in it, and it holds. It holds. And there's this moment where I'm sitting there, and the peace that I feel is incredible, the story doesn't end. My youngest daughter runs out onto the porch and she decides that, that she wants to swing with daddy. And how am I going to refuse that? Although I, I am aware that this is adding more weight to said swing, okay? And, and so she hops up in my lap. There's a tentative moment, but the peace remains. In fact, it deepens as my daughter is cuddled up in my arm, just laying on my shoulder. She looks up, she says, daddy, guess what? I'm like, what? And I know chicken butt is coming because that's what she always says, all right? But no, she says, I love you. I'm, come on. Oh, I mean, it is a moment that I won't ever forget. It was like magical, right? I'm just melting. All the worries and conflict, it's still there, but it's melted away. But the story continues because now my oldest daughter comes out and she wants to play. So she decides to push the swing. What's that? All right, now I'll let you know, I have given this swing my complete trust and it is warranted. I'll spoil the story. The swing does not crash, okay? It holds the way. My, da- my oldest daughter pushing, me and my youngest daughter swinging and it is an incredible moment. And then the nephews run out. And my, of course, youngest daughter doesn't care about daddy anymore. She wants to get down and all the kids are playing and running around. My siblings walk out and there's this moment where the conversation is like rich and deep. I'm talking with my, my siblings and it's a meaningful conversation. And then their kids are playing and they're laughing and they're all getting along. And I'm sitting in this swing and there's just this, I have this moment where like an out of body experience, like I just kind of get a new perspective. I take a step back. The voices kind of turn to a a mumble in the distance. I can hear the kids laughing. I'm looking at God's beautiful creation. And there's just a peace in that moment that is beyond words. Poets try to write about it. Musicians try to sing about it. But there's just something, words that can't give that peaceful moment. Yeah, the conflict and the worries and the concerns of the world, they're still out there. But in that moment, they've melted away. And then bang, my oldest daughter eats the dust, falls, hands, knees to the ground, tears flowing, chaos is back. I'm out of the moment. The moment is gone, okay? She's crying. I have to console her, make sure she's okay. She was fine. It cried for like two seconds, okay? But the moment, that peaceful moment is gone. But I think when we picture peace and we think about how we long for it, that that conflict-free peace is what we're searching for. And we know really that it doesn't last. 
Have you ever been there? Have you ever had those moments? Maybe you have to go back to, I don't know, before bills, okay, when you didn't have worries, a moment where you were, you were able to sit and relax and feel that peace. Maybe it was on a beach vacation or a long hike or a walk with friends. Maybe it was a game night or whatever, hanging out with friends, where the conversation is rich and there's no worries. Yeah, they exist, but they have melted away. You're not thinking about rent or the power bill. You're not thinking about the problems at work. The fires that exist are either not your problem or they've been put out. You're able to just step back and relax. The, the, The regrets of the past are like a vapor. You're able to find that peace. No more grief, no more sorrow, no more stress. The stress is gone, conflict absent, regret forgotten. That's the peace that we long for. And you may be different than me, but my guess is not by much. That when I find myself thinking on peace, longing for it, even praying for peace, that's the peace I seek. The peace that is typical, the absence of conflict. I find myself thinking, when is the weekend? Just two more weeks to my next vacation. If I can just finish this work project, if I, can, if I, can, I can, can't wait for the holidays to be over, if my kids can just reach that next stage, then I'll finally be able to have the conflict-free peace. Listen, I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't think like that. All right, there is some truth to, to the discipline of being present. I think if we are always looking for the next season, we miss the blessings and the joys of being present in mundane life. But the truth is, I think that longing for absent free peace is written on our hearts. It's a biblical longing. Isaiah and in, in his uh, prophecy in chapter 25 verse 8 says that when he, talking about Jesus, has swallowed up death once and for all, the Lord God will wipe away the tears from every face and remove his people's disgrace from the whole world. That the Lord, for the Lord has spoken. John in his revelation, the the 21st chapter says this, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be there with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. If you spent many Sundays here at all, you know that I often go to this verse. This promise of a future peace or joy where conflict is gone. For many of us, like that moment on the back porch, we find that peaceful moment and then just like that, it's gone. We long for the next break, but we know that that break will too soon end. The longing of our heart isn't for a peaceful moment, but it's a peaceful eternity. And here in this rich, beautiful text, we see that that longing for peaceful eternity, that longing for a promise of conflict-free peace is written and fulfilled in Jesus. Don't let the fact that I talk about that promise become mundane. Can you see it that there will be a day when work is no longer a burden, 
There will be a day when death is no longer a threat, when there will be no need for chemo. There will be no need for hospitals, for grief counseling, for food banks or coat drives. There will be no need for a suicide hotline. There will be no need for protests and boycotts. There will be no more longing for brief moments of peace because peace will be all we know. When Jesus returns, those back porch moments are but a shadow of what we will experience in eternity. But I'm not naive. I know that 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 longing for peace, while it does give us perseverance and hope for today, that as I say these words to you, that even in this room, many of you are facing uphill battles. I know many of you have recently lost loved ones. Many of you tomorrow will return to an awful work environment. Many of you in this very room right now sit in discomfort and physical pain. So what do we do right now? Are we just supposed to suffer until we die or Jesus returns? Maybe. Jesus never promises a conflict-free life. But he doesn't ask us to experience or go through anything that he has not gone through. The truth is there are times when heaven breaks in. Miracles happen, conflict is resolved, and peace, conflict-free peace happens. And as long as I have breath, I will pray and contend for those moments. But the reality is those moments are not always. And there's many times where God asks us not to be free from conflict, but enter into it. But he doesn't ask us to enter into hard situations alone. He too has experienced the pain and the difficulty of being human. There's a second kind of peace. If the first one is a typical peace, the second one is what John Tyson calls a defiant peace. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul prays this, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. Always in every way. This means that peace is not just something we look forward to happening But peace can be something that we experience here and now in the midst of chaos and conflict. Defiant peace. If you've ever raised a three-year-old, you know know what I mean by defiant. The same three-year-old that looked up in my eyes and said, Daddy, I love you for no reason. We're sitting around the dinner table. It wasn't dinner. We're sitting around the table we're playing a game or crafts. I can't remember exactly what it was. The girls were uh, sharing. I think we were drawing pictures, so they were sharing markers and crayons. Avery wanted the crayon that Addie Lee had. Granted, there's another one the same color right there on the table in front of her, right? She wants the one that her sister has. And this three-year-old is mad because her sister has the crown she wants. And so she looks her sister dead in the eye and says, I don't love you. (laughs) Okay, listen, we are an affectionate family. We say I love you for random reasons all the time. Okay, I don't know why. It's just how we are, okay? And so this was obviously a breach of our normal behavior. 
And of course, it got an immediate reaction from her mother and I, right? We offered correction. We offered consequences. We offered um, wisdom and reasoning and counseling. And this defiant three-year-old would have none of it, all right? There were tears. There was stomping. There was marching into the living room and ignoring the whole family. And no matter how much we reasoned with her to explain that those are not the words we say, even when we're mad, we don't act like that. It's okay to be mad, but you don't act like that in your anger. All of the, everything that comes with parenting this moment did not breach this three-year-old's mindset. We were unsuccessful. Okay, this is not a parenting lesson, but this is an illustration to understand what defiance really is. It looks in the face of reason. It looks in the face of consequences. It looks in the face of everything that's going on around us and perseveres anyway. All, Addie, all Avery could see was that her sister did something she didn't like and she needed to fight back. See, that defiant piece is looking at our reality. It's looking at the things that we're experiencing, the difficulties we face and saying, I will experience this peace no matter what. Peace is possible even during conflict and chaos. Peace is possible during the turbulence of life. In fact, this is the the context of our passage today. If you go and you look at at where this, this prophecy in Isaiah comes from, it's in the midst of impending doom. Okay, for a second, I want you to, to kind of imagine that you are king or queen. You're in charge of the kingdom. I know some of you guys just got really happy about that, okay? You are sitting in the throne. You're in charge. Everything that happens is under your responsibility, whether the kingdom is successful or not, whether the people are happy or not, whether you continue to reign as king or queen is up to you. Now imagine you're going about your own business and you've got two other kingdoms that are very similar in size just north of you. And those two kingdoms are freaking out, all right? They don't know what to do because just above them is a huge kingdom with incredible power, and that kingdom's pressing in. So you've got these two in the middle, and they're struggling. They're trying to figure out what they're going to do, and they see you. And they're like, hey, we can team up, and we can attack them or we can get them to join us. So then we have three versus one. Even if we have to take them over, we'll have all of their resources and we'll have more power. You're just minding your own business and you've got these two annoying kingdoms that are no bigger than you are, but now they've joined forces and they're coming after you. What do you do? What do you do? I hope as your pastor, you would tell me I'd pray about it, even though it's probably just an empty excuse, right? But that's, that's what Isaiah is going to Ahaz to say saying, you have these two kingdoms joining forces to come after you. I hope you'll pray about it. I hope you will seek the guidance of the Lord. Isaiah says that the guidance of the Lord can provide a peace that you do not understand. Yes, this is a prophecy about Jesus, about the coming Jesus, but it's also a sermon to King Ahaz. He, he is pleading with the king to trust God, for with him, even a simple child can bring you peace. Even a simple child can deliver peace to
to your kingdom? Will you trust in the king? This all stems from Isaiah's calling. If you've been in the church, you've probably heard the story, right? King Uzziah has died. And uh, the Isaiah is now uh, sees the Lord in all of his glory. You have the seraphim who are standing by singing, holy, holy, holy. In that moment, and you can go read this in chapter six. In that moment, Isaiah says, woe is me, a man of unclean lips. He repents of the sin that he has. And God is then faithful to atone for that sin. He takes the coal and touches it to Isaiah's lips, thus purifying them forgiving his iniquity. And then he asked the question, who will I send? And Isaiah in his obedience says, send me. You've heard the story. Chaos around him, the threat of war is coming in and Isaiah listens and obeys. He repents, the Lord forgives him. He obeys and trusts and that that enters him into prophesying. And now he's looking at King Ahaz. He finds Ahaz. He says, listen, this is the formula for having peace in your kingdom. You can go and try to do it on your own strength or you can see the holiness and the glory of the Lord and you can repent and obey and trust in him. And if you do that, even... Even a child can deliver peace. Chaos around him. The threat of war is real. The the pressing in of those kingdoms is real. The stress is real. The anxiety is real. Yet the message of Isaiah is a simple one. See the holiness of God. Repent and obey. And trust him. He will be faithful to deliver you. The message for Ahaz is the message for you and I. We can have defiant peace, a peace that reigns no matter how real the threat of war becomes, no matter how life seems to collapse around us. Peace is possible. Do you see it? Simply seeing the holiness of God, repenting and following him allows us to enter into a life marked by defiant peace. Peace as you gear up to work retail in the holiday season. Peace as you face unexpected health problems. Peace as you parent a three-year-old and a newborn at the same time. Peace as you face yet another celebration without that parent. Peace when it seems like no one understands what you're going through. You can have peace, a defiant peace that looks in the face of conflict and says, you do not reign, but my God reigns. That's what we see happening in this passage in Isaiah. You have the prince of peace. Repentance, trust, and obedience are necessary because it's not you and I. It's not our strength. It's not our strategies. It's not the, the, as hard as we can work. It's not muscling up that provides this peace. It's the creator God, the king of the cosmos that brings this peace. It's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace that provides it. So often we think about the Christmas story as this sweet nativity scene with cousin Carl as the sheep, right? And you go and he's like, oh, they're so innocent. You got the wise men and the camels and the shepherds. And it's like this sweet, innocent scene. But the truth is the birth of our savior is anything but innocent and sweet. It was a picture of peace breaking into a world 
of conflict. It's not a, a common Christmas scripture, but it is the Christmas story. I challenge you, go home and read the entirety of, of Revelation 12. I'm going to read just the, the first nine verses, but listen for the Christmas story in this revelation to John. It says, A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads, ten horns, and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God in his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness, a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But the dragon was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. It's like an epic movie or novel, right? Like You guys know that was in the Bible? <laughs> That's the Christmas story. We always think of it as this sweet little nativity scene with the sheep and the, ca- the, sheep and the cows, but, but that's not what it was. It was the Prince of Peace making his entrance into the world, and it was anything but sweet and innocent. Mike Cosper puts it like this. It's not simply the poetic, sweet story of a child's birth welcomed by stars and angels. It's a violent war story, a cosmic war story, a conflict between fundamental forces of good and evil. And Mary labored, as Mary labored in a place far from home, heaven and hell thundered and took up arms. I hope you get the picture. Jesus, the coming King, brings peace, but he doesn't just bring a future peace. He brings a peace right now into the very heart of trouble. In Genesis, a serpent slithers into a perfect world. He begins lying and eroding its foundations. In Revelation, we see that the evil one has grown into a furious dragon. His power and dominion are far more menacing. The fumes and rages, he fumes and rages and casts down stars from the sky, but he is still doomed. The first attack this dragon experiences is not the shouts of warriors, the flashing of swords, but it's the tears of a child. This baby's first nap was in a feeding trough surrounded by animals, but 33 years later, he would be hung on a cross, body torn like it had been ripped apart by animals. The conflict and violence of this earth appears to have won. But we know the story. We know that our king did not stay dead. He rose and victorious over death. He ascended into heaven and seats on his rightful throne. The enemies are but a footstool under his feet. 
See, the reason we can have peace in the midst of conflict is because we know that Jesus is the reigning king. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because this mighty king, this cosmic king over all the universe has stepped down from heaven into our reality. He is outside of it all, but he enters into the conflict and chaos of a messed up creation. Jesus enters that picture and he makes, he allows death and evil to reign in a way that that seems like they have won, costing him his everything, dying on the cross, but he does not stay dead. We go and we look at the story. The truth is, King Ahaz was promised peace despite the darkness around him. He needed only to repent and trust God. The reality, the sad truth is that he doesn't. Instead, he goes past those two middle kingdoms and joins up with the huge one. He relies on his own strategy and the strength of man. And ultimately, it leads to his doom. That decision proved disastrous for him and his kingdom. And we are left with the same question. As we sing and read and talk about this coming king that brings us peace. The one that that is a child born to us, a son given the government on his shoulders, the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. This coming king offers us peace, defiant peace in the midst of our circumstances. Isaiah saw the holiness of God. He repented and God was faithful to forgive him and faithful to deliver him peace, King Ahaz was not. We are left with the same question. As you face the difficulties of life, as you leave this place today, as you go into regular life throughout the rest of this week, will you follow in the steps of Isaiah, or will you follow in the steps of King Ahaz? All that is needed is a repentance followed by trust and obeying. Because God is the one who provides peace. This Christmas, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will you join me in following King Jesus? Let's pray.